This is episode 39 of the 99 Forever podcast. I'm Eric Friesen, and joining me on the show is a contributor here at the Heavy Hockey Network covering the Oilers and the WHL, Spencer Pomodi. Spencer, how's it going tonight, man? Oh, good. How are you doing, Eric? Doing really good. I know it's a busy time of year, so I appreciate you taking the time to be on the show. Uh, are you all ready for Christmas? Oh, yeah. As ready as you can be, honestly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, uh, you know, one of the best things is that we got the World Juniors right around the corner. It's it's really one of the most fun times on the hockey calendar, isn't it? Oh, I love it. It's it's an event. Everybody just lines up, saves in their calendar and everyone sits around. Like, I remember I'm opening up Christmas presents, <laughs> watching mm-hmm. hockey. Just great times. I think if you talk to most hockey fans growing up in Canada, this is just sort of attached to a lot of their Christmas memories. Uh, in some years, it started on Christmas Day, but typically it gets going on Boxing Day. And it's just something that the whole family kind of just gathers around the TV at this time of year. And just with the Christmas tree on and everyone's watching Canada play at the World Juniors. It's just, I don't know, I have so many memories growing up watching this tournament. Oh, yeah, it's I love it. Just all the young talent that gets featured. It's like it promoting the next up-and-coming generation and then everybody's watching for the next stud it's just a great just all around and then you have your family there with you everyone's invested in canada versus usa boxing day absolutely and, it, and it's also great when it's on at a at, in north america because we get it at prime time as opposed to when it's in europe and the games are on at like seven in the morning yeah, those fun 4 a.m games <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> I mean, this is the second straight year it's going to be in Edmonton. However, last year there were absolutely no fans because of the pandemic. And this year, uh, have you heard what the exact rules are going to be in terms of capacity? Yeah, it's it's 50% in Edmonton and Red Deer. I saw, I believe I saw. Which is a big disappointment because yeah. I know that the double IHF and probably the Oilers Entertainment Group were really hoping to have a packed house there. You know, it. the tournament always does well in Canada. It would have been sold out every night. It's, it's kind of disappointing, not just for the fans, but for those players to sort of miss out on the full experience of, of having, you know, 18,000 people cheering them on. Yeah, like there's nothing like it. You just remember all the fans cheering when Connor McDavid scores that breakaway goal against Russia. Or just yeah, like any moment the fad, fans add so much, it's gonna be it's gonna be loud, and I know they'll pump in some good old artificial sound, so that'll hopefully help. And yeah, it's it sucks that it can't be full capacity, yeah. especially coming under such short notice. Yeah, it is. And you know, speaking of that McDavid goal, like I, I can still picture it in my head. It, he wasn't he wasn't even an Oilers prospect yet, but at that time the Oilers were right at the bottom of the league and you know, there was hope throughout oil country that they were going to land the first overall pick for the fourth time and <laughs> get this generational player in the draft. I remember that whole winter holding out hope. And one of my un- unfortunate things, I-, I guess it's in some ways it was a good way. In other way, ways it wasn't was that I missed most of that tournament, uh, the 2015 World Juniors in Toronto and Montreal, because I was uh, doing the play-by-play for the Max Midget Tournament in Calgary that Christmas. So it was a great broadcasting opportunity, but the downside was that I didn't get to see McDavid and Nurse play on that team as much as I would have liked. Oh, yeah, that's, that is a little bittersweet there. You have a great time getting that opportunity with broadcasting, mm-hmm. but you also, that's Connor's only 
World Juniors. It was <laughs> uh, well, no, he was there. Oh, no, he had a sixteen. Yeah, but I forgot he didn't. 16. He didn't play a very prominent role at that one. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, he tied Max Max Domi for the tournament lead in scoring in 2015. Although Domi still uh, came away with the MVP. But yeah, so many World Junior moments. I mean, in 2010, it was here in Saskatoon. That was Jordan oh, Eberle's. Yeah. Jordan sec- Eberle. <laughs> yeah, it was his. It was his second World Juniors, and it was the tournament where he set the the Canadian record for most goals at the tournament. And I mean, just the comeback against USA in the gold medal game, down five three to score two late goals to send it to overtime, and then unfortunately. Uh, oh, USA, USA came away with the victory. That one. <laughs> to, it, <laughs> so close to six straight golds, you know, and oh. just that, you know, it was a, it was a pretty devastating loss. But uh, yeah, uh, three on still, one coming the other way. I just remember yeah. cringing at it. Can't watch the TV. <laughs> yeah, and oh. you know what else? Uh, kind of a funny story. I was working at Safeway at the time. And one of the guys I worked with, he was he was a few years older than me. He was also a DJ and a bouncer at a nightclub that was uh, sort of in the same area as the grocery store we worked at. And after the game, Team USA had booked out uh, the nightclub. I don't think they were serving alcohol. I mean, who knows if they <laughs> were given some or not. <laughs> but but he he had tons of pictures, my friend, with uh, with all the. The American, the American kids celebrating their their gold medal, and he was actually born in the states, so he uh, he was posting all the pictures on uh, his Facebook, and you know, getting a bunch of a bunch of not the best oh. comments, I guess you could say, from all yeah. the Canadian hockey fans. <laughs> trying to think of the nicest way I can put that, but uh, no, it's it's just such a great tournament, and I'm I'm excited to get going and, and watch it in a couple of days here. Oh, I can't wait! It's like I said, Christmas tradition now. But I'll tell you what, before we get any further into talking about World Juniors, I want to talk a little bit about your own hockey background. So let's just start right at the beginning. How did you first get interested in hockey? And uh, when when did you become an Oilers fan? Yeah, it's this perfect question because they tie in together. Uh, my probably eight years old or nine years old, the 06 playoffs was when okay. I first actually sat down and watched hockey. And I always played the games, always liked NHL and stuff, but never, uh, I didn't even play it then. I didn't even play hockey till then. And I watched that and then I just I couldn't keep my eyes off of it. Every game I was watching and then playing road hockey and then that just transitioned into actually playing hockey and then falling in love with it. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the 2006 playoff run yeah, like, is still it, you know, it's still <laughs> the most fun that I've ever had as a hockey fan. And I was 17 at the time and just it was actually earlier that year that I just went to my first NHL game too. So I mean, it was just a what a team too oh. from Chris Pronger's only year in town, Alish Hemsky before the injuries at his peak, so Ryan good. Smith Sean Horkoff having a breakout year. It really was. And then all the deadline moves that uh, Kevin Lowe made to load up for a playoff run. Just such oh, a special time. And I mean, I was about the same age as you when I first got interested in hockey and started following it on a regular basis. But I'm just a little bit older than you. So uh, that that 06 run, though, even though you were a fairly young kid, you still have pretty good memories of it, though. Oh, great memories. I was always with 
over at my grandma's house. I cheered so loud, woke her up from a nap <laughs> one time when that uh, San Jose. Uh, oh, the uh, triple over- overtime, triple yeah. overtime goal. Yeah, because that was a that was a late one <laughs> for me. Yeah, there was a few over. Oh, for a kid especially. Like I remember, <laughs> I was I was writing grade eleven final exams during some of that oh, playoff run. So yeah. Well, actually, I had my I had my math final the day after they lost in Game Seven, so that was a that was a hard one to study for. <laughs> I, I don't think I got yeah. much accomplished that night. Uh, however, math wasn't my strongest subject either, so I don't know how much the studying would have, <laughs> would have helped anyway. Uh, but um, just we we kind of touched on a few players there, but who actually were your favorite Oilers players growing up? My first that I really like attached to was Sam Gagne. Mm. I, I I loved Gagne. I'm looking right now at a signed puck I have of his. <laughs> I got a Gagne jersey. He was yeah. just awesome because he was a uh, he drafted, and I was young, and that was probably when my my peak interest in hockey just came. And then I was obviously a very naive fan and thought. Well, we just got this guy. We're gonna be so good now. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, the the potential was there. I mean, I I really oh, yeah. think that he was a very talented junior player, and he's carved out a fifteen year career for himself. Oh, he's a so great he, NHLer. He is. He can still look back on his career now. Did he become the seventy point player that he was projected to be? No, but I I do think that he deserves a lot of credit for you know how long he's stayed in the league and he has been still a decent point producer throughout his career. He just might've not reached the high end that people thought he was going to. Yeah, exactly. And plus like <clears throat> so young rush, rush. He was the NHL. Like that's hard on anybody. It's not a developmental league. No. And, and I, I mean, I'm a big Gagne fan too. I mean, we're both oh, born yeah. in 1989. So I love seeing, <laughs> the, I, I love seeing the 89 on the back of his Jersey. Uh, and then, of course, who can forget the the eight point game in February 2012? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm guessing you watched that night as well when they beat the Blackhawks. I think nine to two. I want to say. Yeah, it was something like that. I, no, it wasn't. Was they it beat eight, them, eight four or something. Yeah, they beat them nine to two earlier that year. It it, it was weird because even though the they Black were so Hawks, good, that was their yeah. Stanley Cup year. Yeah, though the, the Blackhawks <laughs> when they were at their dynasty, you know, peak. They were, they found a way to always seem to get blown out by the Oilers at during their decade of darkness. It was that I one team that, that. <laughs> I can't believe that that's how it always turned out between them. Uh, I wish they could have played like that a little more often. But anyway, um, no, that's that's awesome. That um, sticking sort of with that, uh, I want to talk more about. Um, your first memories of actually going to games at Rexall Place. Uh, did you get to go to many games growing up? And do you remember the first time you actually went to a game? Uh, I don't quite remember my first time going to a game, but I was okay. very fortunate. I had an aunt and uncle who had season tickets, and they would always, if one of them couldn't go, they would. I was always the first person that would get asked. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, so I go. I was able to go to a ton of games, and yeah, it was. Old Rexall was awesome. <laughs> yeah, I, I have like I, I've kept I think most of the ticket stubs from games I went to there because you know growing up out of province, like I, I'm only five and a half hours away, so I'm not really that far. But 
I, I only really come out to Edmonton about three or four years, three or four times a year as an adult. But when I was younger, it would be like a once a year type thing. So getting to just go to one game, you'd hope that it would be a game that the Oilers would win. You'd hope that it'd be a game where they uh, would actually come to play, even though it was some lean years. Oh, and, yeah. <laughs> you know, you know what it's like. But yeah. no, it's um, it's really cool that uh, you were able to go to as many as as you were growing up. Do you have a, a favorite memory? of watching the Oilers live or on TV? Um, uh, my One of my favorite live moments is I was the Nail Yakupov celebration. <laughs> oh, you were there that night. <laughs> oh, yeah, that game okay. was unbelievable. <laughs> I was watching on TV, and you could just feel the the disappointment and the anger and rage in the fans when that goal was disallowed with about 10 seconds left in the game or oh. yeah, I think it was 10 seconds left on the clock because then they won the draw and scored with about two seconds left. I think when Yakupov yeah. scored to send it to overtime yeah, and was, oh, crazy. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, it, it, to me, it like you, you can just still see the images in your head of Ralph Kruger, like coming <laughs> off the bench, walking onto the ice to argue with the ref. And then it just seemed like it was over. Like they, they get this last second goal to tie it one, one, and then it's taken away, which it should have counted. And then of course they, they ended up uh, getting the result in overtime that they wanted with the win. So it all turned out. And I was probably at that time when you thought Yakupov was going to be a superstar as well. Oh yeah. You, he was just electrifying and mm-hmm. you just loved the guy. Cause like anybody that like, just like OV, Anyone that just celebrates so hard after a goal, Puliarvi, like it's just awesome. I love seeing it. <laughs> yeah, you know what? And the Oilers have had some notable Russians throughout their history, but they they've never had I I think a true Russian superstar, or like a, a a top a top Russian player. And I think we all assume that Yakupov was going to be that guy when you get him first overall. Oh yeah, I was that that draft as a whole was just weird i thought once again i was young i thought yakupov would have been superstar but like you could even make the argument once again they mishandled him yeah uh, it, at some I, point he kind of i put it some somewhat yeah. on him and somewhat on the organization yeah there's a 50 50 there for sure i believe there were probably some question marks going into the draft about picking him but uh, as someone who follows the prospects, I think you and I can both look back and say the 2012 draft wasn't one of the stronger drafts of the last decade. You know, there's there's some good players that have come out of it. Vasilevsky going 19th overall. Philip Forsberg, I think, going 12th overall. Morgan Riley, oh, what was he? Was he fourth fifth. or fifth overall? Fifth. So like there there were some some very good players in that draft. Uh, it's just a matter of. You know, you see a guy like Griffin Reinhardt uh, going forward, yeah. right? Like, there's, it, it's a, it's a draft that it'll be looked back on as not at the same level as some of the other ones in recent memory. Yeah, exactly. That one was those that top three picks are. Uh, mm-hmm. That yeah, it's funny to look at now. And even though, even though Yakupov didn't turn out to be the the Russian star the Oilers were hoping for, they might have a player in the system right now who could become that Russian star down the road. That's a little tease. We'll get to that later. Um, but uh, I want to talk more about your own 
uh, interest in scouting and writing because you have joined us here at the Heavy Hockey Network and you, you're an excellent contributor uh, covering, like I said off the top of the show, the Edmonton Oilers as well as the Western Hockey League. I want to just talk about how you first got interested in scouting and when did the WHL sort of become your area of focus? Uh, first part of that question, it's cool because when you said that uh, you and Gagne were born in the same year and that's what uh, you saw, it was cool. Well, I'm born same year as McDavid mm-hmm. and I was uh, like, I'm 12 and I'm in peak in love with hockey. I see yeah. they're talking about like this 12 year old, <laughs> just this next generational superstar, just yeah. something out of this world. And I just took a latch and onto that and got interested. And then around the 2015 draft, I was, well, obviously, well, before that, if you're watching his draft year and even D minus one year, and he's, just doing crazy things. And I'm like, this guy is my age. Like, I cannot believe it. And I, th- I think he had 99 points in his, it, what, what should have been his rookie year, but it was actually his second year in the OHL, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. And then yeah. his, D, his D one year, or minus one year, I guess you could say, that's when he had the, uh, what was it, like 120 points in 47 40... games or something like yeah. that? Yeah. yeah, I think it was that yeah that was his let's see i'd have to pull the numbers i think it was 120 yeah, in 47 47 99 and okay. 56 the year before right yep that's just <laughs> and then so, he was he was a point per game player in the whl when he was uh, a 15 slash 16 year old too yeah in the in the oh he was uh yeah he had 68 and 66 i believe He's Just never crazy. been under a point per game anywhere he's been. And wow. Like, yeah, going on about that is I found, well, once the draft lottery came, he's freaking out. And then you kind of start paying attention more. Well, that guy's good. And then you start watching the draft. And I just, for some reason, I triggered something and then started taking it more seriously. I'd say, like, <laughs> I'd watch the draft, follow some prospects. In 2020, I'd say I started watching a lot more. 2019, 2020, just really tied on to the junior leagues, just OHL, the Q, and the WHL. And then the second part of that question ties in is in the WHL, I, I like it. I can go see the players if I want. Like, I have the Oil Kings right in town. They're, uh, they're, pretty, they're a pretty good team this year, so yeah. they're always fun to go see. And any year, they're always, it feels like, in contention. Yeah, I mean, ever since basically the early 2010s, they've been a fairly consistently good team. I mean, if I'm not mistaken, they're they're the last WHL team to win the Memorial Cup, correct? Yeah, I believe it is them. In 2014. Yes, I do think that. Because if I'm not mistaken, there's been a, a pretty tough run for whl clubs at the memorial cup that's what i think yeah it has been bad i I remember reading that somewhere i think there was there was like a a three or four year run where i think the team coming out of the whl went zero and three in the round robin at the memorial cup and some of that is probably just due to population i mean there's always going to be good players coming from all regions of canada it's just a, a fact that ontario with however many times the population is Western Canada, 
they they have a, a, such a larger talent pool to pick from that the top team in the OHL is on more occasions going to be better than the top team coming out of the dub. Yeah, exactly. And you see with all the Canadian, well, not all of them, most of the Canadian players that are superstars in the NHL all come from that Ontario area. Oh, yeah. Just go yeah. look at look at any roster. David Gretzky, <laughs> all the greats. Are... Well, the Oilers have always had a large Ontario content. I mean, just go back and look at their teams over the years and just count the number of guys that have come out of Southern Ontario. It's it might not be per capita the most. I think that there are still some spots in like Saskatchewan, Alberta, Manitoba that might have close to the most per capita. But in terms of just actual NHL players, Southern Ontario produces more than anyone. Oh, yeah. It's <laughs> yeah, especially in Canada. Uh, the the Western has been has been actually in their last few drafts. I've been impressed. Uh, this one's a little bit different, but. So before we move on to some more uh, Oilers-related topics and, and get into the World Juniors, I just wanted to stick with the dub for a second. Uh, how often do you try to attend WHL games at Rogers Place? And when you're going to them, are you often waiting for certain teams to come to town to get a look at a player on that team? For instance, Connor Bedard on the Regina Pats, or are you mainly just going to watch the Oil Kings? Uh, I'll go to... I try to line it up with a player and a good game. So the Oil Kings, it's awesome having them because, you know, if I'm going to say Moose Jaw comes in this year and I want to see Denton Matejchuk, I know Matejchuk's going up against some of the best competition the WHL has to offer. Yeah. And so I try to pick out games like that. But right now with everything going on if i can make it to a game on any day i'll just try to go i haven't been able to go to as many thankfully chl tv has my back <laughs> <laughs> but uh if when i when i go that's the main thing is just try to watch two players to play okay. against the the oil kings help it though is my main thing <laughs> are you taking notes when you're at these games or are you just mentally kind of just Making uh, little little notes in your head about what you're seeing. I I make them mentally, and then if I see something that like I really like or really don't like, I use my phone mostly. Yeah, that's that's the main thing. But I'm mostly trying to like, because I I know what I see from video. I kind of understand. I'm trying to see like their what's their body telling me? Like, why are they talking to their teammates when something bad happens? What are they doing? How do they interact with the environment they're in? No, that's awesome, man. To get a, it's nice to get a little perspective on how you uh, observe these kids and, and what you take away from them. Um, looking at just the, the oil, like for me, I was going to say, it's always fun to watch Oilers players at the world juniors. I think anytime yep. you can watch the national team, with some players from your favorite club team, whether it's the Olympics, World Championships, World Juniors, World Cup of Hockey, whatever tournament it is, it, it always adds some intrigue and makes it even more fun to cheer on Canada. Um, do you get the same enjoyment seeing the the four Oil Kings players uh, headed to the, uh, the World Juniors this year? Oh, yeah. Any Oil King that comes through, I'm so attached to them. I love like Jake Neighbors. Dylan Gunther. I've been on the Sebastian Costa wagon forever. <laughs> um, and then Caden Gooley, he was a uh, came over from PA, but he's uh, 
Oh, he's awesome. He'll be a good captain for them. Uh, I just I just thought of this question since you mentioned him, but uh, there was a lot of talk about the Oilers potentially taking a goalie in the draft last year. They ultimately decided to go with uh, the forward, Xavier Borgo, who we're going to talk about later in the show. But just going back to Costa for a second, were you hoping that he would be there for the Oilers, or were you uh, still thinking that they might take Wallstead when he potentially fell to them at 20th? Um, I believe uh, once I saw Costa go, I knew they weren't going to take Wallstead. How did uh, you know that? Because it seemed like on Oilers Twitter, yeah, and even not even just Oilers Twitter, but hockey Twitter in general, there was a consensus that the Oilers needed to address their goaltending, and they were getting a chance to take a potential top five pick who had fell that far in the draft. So it seemed like a lot of people believed that Wallstead was the obvious choice. Yeah, I was one of those people. I really wanted Wallstead, but from what I've been reading and stuff, and just by kind of looking at it, they like having, I, I think, now even with hindsight is, they really believe in Stuart Skinner, I believe. Well, that's what I was going to even go to next. Do you think it's just a matter of the Oilers were confident enough at the goalies that they had in the system that Tyler Wright decided that we don't need to address this specific area. We can try and uh, add a, a, a potential impact forward who can help McDavid and Dreisaitl down the road. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I Thinking about even now, I believe that they just really wanting to value these elcs now and mm-hmm. they kind of think they can fix not fix but fill in the gold tendon with cheaper options right and, and I mean, Stuart skinner's yeah. going to be on a bargain deal for the next uh year after this but really mm-hmm. when you have guys up front who make as much as mcdavid and dry do and jesse pulley do for a raise zach mm-hmm. hyman and nugent hopkins just signed extensions for over five million dollars each it's going to be a big benefit if the oilers can have guys like dylan holloway xavier borgo uh matt Vay petrov all these guys down the road carter savoy Ty Tulio, if they can come in and, and play on the second or third line or wherever they may land and be under a million dollars, these are the kind of bargain contracts that you're going to need during the McDavid era. Yeah, exactly. That's why. And when when they picked Borgo, I was I was happy with. I wanted Wallstead, but I understood when mm-hmm. with with what it was, Wallstead was gone. Borgo was there. I liked Borgo. I thought he was awesome. I got a. I I was able to watch him last year. I thought he was the second best player coming out of the queue. Mm-hmm. And his what and it's true. Like those ELCs will help so much if they can come in and be impact players. Like Dylan Holloway, I think no matter what, he's gonna impact your team. Like you can throw him in at any time he'll be ready to play an nhl game i don't know how much his offense will translate early on but he would be able to play some nhl hockey at any given moment uh and if you could have like carter savoy and his his scoring ability down in the lineup in maybe two years on like 800k that would just be splendid Oh, absolutely. I mean, and that's when you and, and Holloway will hopefully be there this year. I still think he's going to spend at least two months in Bakersfield once he's healed and ready to go, which will hopefully be in January. But looking at at 
you know, down the road, the, some of the names I mentioned and, and others in the system, these are the guys that they need to come up and grab a spot from a veteran and, and give this team not only some offensive juice, but also give them some bargain deals that allow you to go spend money otherwhere or, or not even spend it, but the money that's already spent. Yeah, exactly. Especially with uh, nurses deal kicking mm-hmm. in, that will uh, that one will be a pretty to one to pay. Uh, and, if, and then if Skinner Yamamoto turns out, too. yes, Yamamoto yeah, too. Although he's had a bit of a down year. Yep. Uh, I mean, like Skinner, if he can step up and be the guy, you know, that's that's eventually what you need to do is draft and develop your own goalie and not have to go trade to bring one in and pay him seven million like. Uh, Markstrom got in Calgary. You want to you want to f- get a goalie at a, a lower cap hit who you, who's come up through your system, and if Skinner can do that for this team, that's just a huge find. Oh yeah, it would be amazing. I was I was a big, a little bit of a doubter of him when I first. Oh yeah, because you would have covered him when he was in the in the league. Yeah, first few years I was kind of down, but then now uh, goalies are so hard to read. And he's gotten so much time in with Bakersfield that he's just able to work and work. And now he's up with the big club and he's been good. Like, yeah, I don't I know think, if, he, if he goes back down. Uh, you know what? He might be here to stay. I, I think his numbers are the best. And now Mike Smith has a very small sample size, but his numbers, mm-hmm. I believe, are the best of the Oilers' three goalies. And when Stuart Skinner started in Bakersfield, I think he came up for the 2019 playoffs if i'm not mistaken yep and he and he looked pretty sharp when he got in but when you went to his rookie season in the ahl the next year that's when he kind of struggled a bit yeah his oh yeah his rookie season was a tough one and then they uh and then last year he turned it around though yeah that was an i think he had his record was unreal that bakersfield team was very good too and he you can see the growth in him now is in like the way he even talks about it is he's now standing up more where he used to be this big guy crouching to try and see through shots when he can see over people and track pucks way better is what I've I'm starting to notice. Yeah, and that's I mean I I don't know enough about the goaltending position to break it down the way you did, but I have heard that his style has been upgraded in a sense, and and maybe that is somewhat working with Dustin Schwartz, the Oilers goalie consultant. And I know he doesn't always get the the best review from fans, but um, I think that some of the work that Stuart Skinner, has, I've heard him attribute to Schwartz in the, in the, in, in interviews that, you know, that's a, a pretty positive sign as well. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> I'm honestly not that good at evaluating goalies. They are, they are a different type of technical mm-hmm. breed. <laughs> they are. <laughs> and it's, it's because it's tough. Like there's efficient ways to stop a puck, but if you stop a puck, you stop a puck. Yeah. So I don't, I don't, there's however you get it done. Just get it. done. Exactly. (laughs) Well, let's, uh, let's transition into some, some news. Now I I wanted to talk about, uh, probably the biggest story in the hockey world this week, aside from the NHL getting temporarily paused due to a COVID-19 outbreak, but it's also that there will be no NHL players at the Olympics. This decision came down a couple days ago and very disappointing for myself and a lot of hockey fans who were really hoping to get to see the best players at the in the world at this tournament. We haven't had a best-on-best best tournament. If you want to say the 2016 World Cup was the last one, although there were the 
the so-called gimmick teams that kind of <laughs> changed as much as much fun as it was to watch Team North America. There are people who don't consider that a true best on best tournament. So now we're looking at going from the one tw- or the 2014 Winter Olympics to the 2026 Winter Olympics that will be the next time that we'll have this. Um, just a real tough blow considering all the talented players we were hoping to see on Canada. You know, people had been making line combinations of who's going to play with who for the last six months saying, oh, well, McDavid could play with Huberdeau and McKinnon and you could have the Crosby line with Bergeron and Marchand and and then a list of other superstars filling out the rest of the lineup. Um, just how disappointing is it for you to see Connor McDavid miss out on the Olympics for the second straight time? And just uh, not even just with McDavid, but just NHL players not going at all. Yeah, it it sucks because just like the World Juniors, you like to see the best under-20 talents go up against each other. It's just any athletic competition, any competition at all, seeing the best-on-best at standing up for their countries and is just, that's when the most competitiveness comes out. Everyone, the best, play at their best. And it is, it's short, it's sweet, and unfortunately, it Hopefully 26 comes. I don't, hopefully, I don't see how they don't go in 26, but I also said that with uh, 22. Yeah. So, <laughs> that one is tough. <laughs> the thing is, it's, I think the NHL finally had to come around to the fact that even it's if business. you're, n- yeah, it's, it's not, even if you're not getting financial compensation from the players going it's still good for the game and will benefit the nhl indirectly because it's going to put more eyes on your product after the olympic games are done let these players go have the experience they want to have representing their country let let it grow the game in other countries as well and then you'll have these talented players coming and being a part of your league it's just it's disappointing that the league wanted to find some way to either get paid for this or have 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 their hand in it some way and we know the double ihf is never going to allow the nhl to take any of the the profits that come out of the the games but uh the only thing i i could ever see down the road is that they they try to fight for the rights to show highlights on nhl.com and that's one thing that they're still not permitted to even use the 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 broadcast rights so maybe that's one concession yeah that's that was a big big thing they're only allowed to use images i mean uh it's it's a a tough thing for for them right tough yeah because say there's an awesome goal between a canada usa game yeah like or just like mcdavid crosby they're yeah like, like, ima- oh. like imagine Crosby's golden goal and all they can do on NHL.com is post uh, a picture of him celebrating uh, with credits to CBC, of course, and then um, and then just an article right up on it. Like you can't even show the goal. So there, there's little things like that that I think NHL doc, the NHL could fight for. But in terms of actually seeing any profits from it themselves, like they're they're not going to be uh, allowed to do that. Yeah, no, <laughs> that won't happen. <laughs> no, um, but yeah, just just a tough break. Do you think that you'll still have any interest in watching the Olympics at all, or will it be sort of like 2018, where you periodically look in because it's still the Olympic Games, but it's not the best players. It'll be a lot of. It'll be very similar to the Spangler Cup team. Yeah, uh, 
Honestly, I don't mind the Olympics. When it's not the NHL players, I try not to focus on the hockey too much. And I like watching just the other athletes compete. Um, it's It gives me a little break, but a lot of the time I'll just be like watching the WHL and I'll have on the background of the TV, oh, there's the Olympics. And mm-hmm. I'll catch the odd little bit read wake up read oh did we win a gold or not and that's about it (laughs) absolutely well we've spent some time talking about the world juniors and international hockey already let's get back into that now and let's specifically start with xavier borgo who was the oilers first overall pick this past summer uh he came into rookie camp looked pretty good there scored a big goal couple big goals actually against the flames in the the rookie camp games and I, I think i think he actually scored a goal in a regular preseason game if i'm not mistaken too yeah so he assisted Derek ryan's yeah yeah so he he was actually showing fairly well he's gone back to the quebec league where he's one of the top players in the league and he has 22 goals and 42 points in 24 games so almost a goal per game player down there he has the most goals of anyone on team canada at the world juniors this year from the chl uh i just want to get some thoughts from you on borgo's season so far uh, before we specifically look at what we can expect from him on team canada this year Oh, he's been great this year. Everything you see in him last year, you could you could tell he was kind of poised for that breakout. With the puck, he's electric, but he can also find areas of ice where no one's paying attention and he sneaks in. He's got a great shot, and boom, it's in the back of the net. Or even what I was most impressed with, was I especially noticed in his preseason games was his board work. His board work was unbelievable. Finding little area battles, the pucks. He's not the biggest guy. I believe he's six foot, about 190 pounds. Uh, But just his technical skills with the puck was just incredible to watch. And that's what I remember about the Derek Ryan goal was he just Mm -hmm. battling between two skates. He comes up with the puck and there it is in back of the net. Yeah, and I, I can also remember from some of the plays he made um, in, in those those uh, preseason games for the Oilers, just some very heads-up plays, you know, uh, yep. looked he, for the open guy, dusted off the puck a little bit, and then just made a smart pass, didn't try to do too much with it, and just put it on a, 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 the tape in a good spot to fire it home. Yeah, that's what I like about him. He doesn't, he doesn't need the puck, really, to be effective he will continuously move it i don't like when like when players will just continuously hold it try to make a move and then put themselves in a corner unless you're connor there's special (laughs) there's special players like that but like he he's not that player he'll he's moving that puck he's trying to get into the to the middle of the ice he really wants that middle of the ice whether it's him with the puck or him just with without it sneaking in there yeah, and and as good as he is with the puck, he's not a player that needs it a lot. He can exactly. just he can set up in an area where he can get the one timer off, or just release a quick wrist shot. And I think that he's going to potentially be a good fit 
with the likes of the Oilers' elite centers like Connor McDavid or Leon Dreisaitl, or even if he started out playing on the third line with Nuge, if they decided to move him down to the third line and maybe elevate Dylan Holloway up the lineup in the next year or two. Like, there's so many different options that they'll have for him, but he's going to have a skilled center to play with regardless who can get him the puck in good spots. Yeah, exactly. And once he has that, he only needs is a few good line mates and like you see, I believe he plays with Bork, yeah, or uh, Oliver Nadeau. He uh, one of those. I, that might even be their line. And I think he's played with both. If I, I I follow them on, I follow the Schwinnigan's account on Twitter, and I, I always look at their line combinations before a game. So I've seen him play with both those guys. Yeah, he's not going to be this crazy play driver, but if you put him with another good player, like in Nugent Hopkins or. McDavid, well, anybody's good with McDavid and Drysdale, yeah. but uh, if he's really gonna benefit from that, like uh, if Borgo was in Yamamoto, say switch the ages and the positions, Borgo probably outperforms Yamamoto by a bit, right? And, and even if you know, even if he ends up being the third best player on a skilled line, he's not going to be someone who drags down the line. He's still going to be a, an offensive contributor in that spot. No, yeah, he's gonna be. Like he can either be the finisher on any given play, he can be the set, he can set it up. Uh, so he can, his skill set will match a lot of other players. And once he finds something, it will be, it's going to be, I have a lot of hope for him. Absolutely. And of course, he showed well enough at uh, Team Canada's evaluation camp or selection camp, whatever you want to call it, last month, that he uh, earned a spot on the top line with. Cole Perfetti, a draft pick of the Winnipeg Jets in 2020, as well as a uh, projected first overall pick in next year's draft, Shane Wright. Uh, what can you say about Borgo playing with those two players, and what do you expect from that line? I haven't watched the game from tonight. That's on the next order of business. Mm-hmm. But what I'm expecting is, like I said, all three of those guys, uh, Shane Wright's mostly the shooter. But they can all pass the puck as well. And there should be... Like, Cole Perfetti uh, beside Borgo is perfect, I believe. It's just... Perfetti wants to move the puck. He wants to get it to somebody and then get open. And Borgo's that type of player too. He wants the puck, he'll transition it, and then he'll give it up to Perfetti. Or then there's Shane right in there. That line has a lot of potential to put up some... like. They play against a Switzerland or Austria. They will that line dominate them. Yeah, like it could it could put up a lot of points. Yeah, and, and this might be a, a a rare time where Borgo isn't the best shooter on his line, playing with a uh, Shane Wright, who's known for being a great goal scorer as well. But um, yeah, Cole Perfetti being super skilled, he's going to get them the puck in in good areas, and I yeah. think that line's going to be super dangerous throughout the tournament. Uh, do you expect him to hold on to that spot, or do you think there's some real competition that someone could sneak up and and potentially take that first uh, right wing spot from him? Uh, with these short tournaments, there's always going to be. I always think somebody's going to play here, and then no, they played there. But they've played together two practices, I believe I saw, and then tonight's game. Um, if something starts to go wrong, I could see, like, you 
he's sitting right there, the 16-year-old wonder, Connor Bedard. Mm-hmm. You might want to give him a look at with somebody, uh, Dylan Gunther, ninth overall pick. He's there. It's it's a deep team, and it can go anywhere. So I if if he, I expect him though to stay top six. That's the thing. I don't okay. know if he'll be the first line, but I do believe he'll be in uh, second line lowest. Yeah, and like I kind of said earlier in the podcast, you know, watching Team Canada play, I, I never need any extra incentive. I'm always going to cheer for Canada. But at at the same time, when you can have a prospect or a player from your favorite club team on the national team, it makes it even that much more enjoyable. Like I remember when Yamamoto was yeah. on the American squad even. Normally, I, I'm not that attentive to Team USA's games, but I was watching all their games throughout that tournament because I wanted to see how Yamamoto played. Same with Philip Broberg last year uh, playing for Team Sweden when he was the captain. Unfortunately, he got hurt early in the tournament after that yeah. three assi- that. Yeah, I think he had three assists in the first game, and then he got hurt, and it kind of derailed the rest of his season in the SHL. But he's obviously come back and sort of turned it around this year playing over in North America. But it's just, I don't know, it makes it that much more fun when there's Oilers players at this tournament. And I don't know, I'm just really excited to have Borgo there on Team Canada. We had Dylan Holloway on Canada last year, and that was sort of a launching pad for him as well once he got back to Wisconsin, his season took off. So I'm really excited for this tournament to kick off and see what he's going to do at his uh, first and only world junior appearance yeah i'm i'm excited for burgo like he has this sky high potential to put up some just godly numbers like yep. you get in you he's getting the opportunity and i want to see what he's about <laughs> and the and the thing is it's like canada can really roll four lines in this tournament because yeah. the team is so deep <laughs> so it, it's it's not like even if he ended up on the third line which i was hoping he'd play higher in the lineup than that but even if he did land there uh, he was still going to get a regular shift so i think the potential for him to create offense was going to be there no matter where he ended up playing yeah exactly like their third line is Jake Neighbors, Ridley Gregg, yeah. and Justin Sordiff. Two out of the three are first-round picks. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And I'm actually a little surprised that they didn't put him with Bork just because of the chemistry there. Yeah, that's also... I, I believe they had them together for the first practice. Yeah. And then they went with the Borgo right perfetti line right after that. Yeah. Okay, well, I'm looking forward to watching that. Uh, let's now talk about another player at the tournament, uh, a lesser-known one uh, out of Germany. <laughs> but, uh, you know, a, a friend of mine, Brian Swain, who I've had on the show a bunch of times, he he follows uh, Munzenberger quite a bit. Hope I pronounced his name right there. I know you'll have it, though. Uh, just tell me a little bit about what you've seen from him and expectations uh, for him on this tournament. Uh, I haven't seen too much. I watched some of his games from last year. And that team, sadly, is much better than this year's team. Uh, Luca, I believe, is the only drafted player on Team Germany yeah, this year. Yeah, they did have a pretty... You know, despite getting blown out by Canada last year, there were some really talented players on that yeah. squad. Uh Stutzel. Namely, Stutzla coming out of uh, yeah. or for the Ottawa Senators, who basically turned pro almost immediately after that tournament when the NHL season got going. But I've heard that teams like even Austria could be better than Germany this year. Yeah, like it's they yeah like Austria has a few. I know Marco Casper; he's somebody that you'll want to watch. Um, and 
Lucas getting Munzenberger, Luca Munzenberger, he's going to be relied on heavily. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he played 22 minutes last year, almost 22 minutes a game. And he's probably going to be asked to play 23, 24, that range. Oh, like PK. Uh, what, I've, what I've seen last year, I haven't been able to watch any of the Vermont games, unfortunately, but they don't have uh, the best team well, right. this year. But uh, he, he struggles. He's so good defending. It is. Uh, it's it's awesome. Like his closeout's perfect. Like his skating's great. He's big. He's mean. He is mean. If you go near his net, I. There were a few last year. They aren't calls, but this year they would have been calls with the cross checks. Yeah. But he'll protect his net perfectly fine. What happens is when he gets the puck on his stick, it's kind of like Adam Larson. It's. I don't really want it off the glass <laughs> or something like that. And to be he's going to you need the puck to score and he's going to have to keep the puck controlled, uh, make some plays with his feet or his passing. But it, it's hard when your team is not that good and you're constantly under pressure. Yeah, and I mean, you can still have defensively conscious guys or defensive first guys. I mean, you look at Marcus Niemelainen, who's come up and played recently. Um, Even Dmitry Samarukov, he probably has a little higher offensive upside than either of those two guys, but he's still like a defensive first guy. Like there, There are players who can play that physical style, but even though everyone wants all defensemen to be puck moving guys now, not everyone is going to be a Norris trophy caliber puck mover. It's just not a real realistic thing, but if you need, you need to play at the, at the NHL level, there has to be at least some puck moving ability in your game. Yeah. Especially now there has to be like, you look at Colorado's defense. I, everyone there can pass the puck superbly. It's yeah. it, It just, especially if you got Connor McDavid on your team, like if you can hit him in full flight, (laughs) <laughs> I say this all the time, Spencer. One of my biggest pet peeves is when Connor is picking up a head of steam and the Oilers have control of the puck on the back end and they don't give it to him when he's flying down the wing. I, I'm starting to see it a little bit more this year. Evan Bouchard's been pretty good at it. Uh, even Duncan Keith you know, can still make those passes on occasion. I just... I want that to become a more consistent thing from the back end that they're finding McDavid to try and set up breakaways, odd man rushes by getting the puck to the most dangerous attacker in the league in full flight. Like you said. Yeah, it's, it's tough. It's, they seem it's, and I guess we have a young decor now that everyone is basically, we just have the condors up here, but so I, it's tough when with Nima Linen and Broberg, because they're I I don't think Broberg's quite ready yet. I think he would be fine for some third pair NHL time, but I want him to just eat minutes in Bakersfield so he doesn't need to be up here at the moment. <laughs> for sure. And then and then Nima Linen, it's he his pucks like his passing's fine. But it's, he's a physical he's a guy. guy. That's what he yeah, brings. That's and his thing. Hopefully he, he can bring a lot of what. Yeah. Like you wanted to bring what Adam Larson 
did exactly. bring at, at a cheaper uh, cap hit. Although I will give Broberg a lot of credit. I thought that he performed fairly well in his first NHL stint. There were games when the Oilers had injuries and illnesses, and he was playing basically top pairing minutes. I think he led all Oilers defensemen in minutes played in the Dallas game. I'm trying to remember what night it was, but uh, it might have been in Arizona too. I think he played 22 or 23 minutes both of those nights. And that was not, you know, because he had earned it or anything. It was out of necessity that they had no one else to to step up and play that role with Nurse out and Keith out, uh, Cuckoo out. So I, I commend him on... Uh, being a 20-year-old kid and handling that huge responsibility after only about a dozen games in the AHL. Yeah, exactly. And when he came up here and played with CC, I honestly thought some games that was our best pair by far. Yep. They were defending like extremely well. And CC was not scared to let Broberg move that puck. No, Steve and would- you need you need a veteran like him. Also, just a side note, there were a lot of people that were down on the Cody CC signing, and and I'll be honest, I didn't like the four year deal either. I would have, yeah, I would have been much more comfortable with two or three years. But so far, that contract has saved the Oilers, especially when they went through their injury woes. Yeah, I've liked I've liked him this year. Like I said, the I liked the player. Didn't like the term. It's you can. Mm-hmm pick at it whatever you want but he's an oiler now so you gotta hope for best case scenario <laughs> i think his age yeah i just think his agent probably saw that the oilers were in a desperate scenario yeah, exactly. they needed a defenseman and they were probably able to get maybe either a million more a year or a year longer than most fans would have liked but it is what it is and and he's actually been a, a fairly solid member of the team so far this year so it's worked out at least in year one and hopefully we'll keep going um Mm -hmm. i want to talk about another oilers prospect now perhaps the most exciting oilers prospect in the system this winter so far and that's matt vay petrov and matt vay petrov you look at the numbers he's top five in the ohl in goals assists and points he has uh, 49 points in 29 games so far with uh, 22 goals. This, or, uh, Sorry, 20 goals, I should say. Uh, this kid, he's playing on one of the best teams in the OHL. He's been one of the best players as a rookie in the league, albeit an 18-year-old rookie coming over. But the expectations, I think, should have been high for this kid as uh, the former first overall pick in the CHL import draft. And one thing that has actually benefited the Oilers because of the pandemic, and there aren't many positives to take out of this horrible pandemic, that there weren't a lot of eyes on him playing in the Russian Junior League last year. And because of that, he slipped to the sixth round of the draft where the Oilers were able to get him 180th overall. And so far, he's been nothing short of superb in the OHL. One of the best players in the league is in contention for a scoring title and unfortunately did not make Team Russia. I just want to get your thoughts on why you didn't think he was there, and is this something that they're going to regret, uh, depending on how the results come in this tournament? Yeah, I think anytime you leave a guy like him at home, it's you're going to regret it at some point. Like he's he can score. He can. He's a great junior scorer. He can put that puck in the net. His shot is just wicked. Mm-hmm. It can just fly past the goal easier, and like 
once again, of course, Russia didn't take a single CHL. They also didn't take a single right shooting player. I didn't every, even notice that. Every yeah. single player on Team Russia shoots left. And I went and looked through that roster. There's some KHL players there. There are um, some VHL players, MHL players from their junior and minor leagues over there. But one thing that surprised me is I think they only have four players under the age of 19 at this tournament. They have completely loaded up on the oldest possible players they can take. And I don't know if that's just their mentality is we're going to load up and take a 19-year-old team to this tournament and try and have the more older, experienced players. But it's disappointing that they would leave him off either because of hubris or politics or whatever it may be. But just to deny this talented kid an opportunity to represent his country because he chose to go further his development in the Canadian Junior Leagues. I think that that is a major, major oversight by them. Yeah, it's it's just like it's dumb in my opinion. It's his choice, what he feels like is best for him. If that is the case, I don't want to assume anything, but <laughs> I do believe that is play a big part. And it's the thing that confuses me the most is he's been adjusted to the North American ice, the North American game. It's he would have probably, if they brought him, started off a little bit easier, gained some confidence, and he might have looked just unreal at the early skates. Yeah. Especially but, like like you said, used to the North American rink. You know, yeah. that's definitely gonna help. Uh the time change obviously isn't gonna be as hard for him as some of the other kids coming over as well. It's just I really think that I mean, look back at this tournament. Russia historically doesn't take a lot of CHL players. You have to be exceptional top, or top a, a high draft. Like, exactly. Yeah. You They're, have to be top tier. My only hope was that since Petrov stayed at home until he was 18, I was hoping that staying in Russia a, a couple extra years would be enough to get him on this team. Unfortunately, coming to Canada to play in the OHL seems to have, I don't know if the Russian Hockey Federation holds that against him. It sure seems like it does, but it's, it's disappointing. And he's still eligible to play next year. Uh, I, I assume he'll be, you know, in the running again then, but uh, my hope is that he's just such a dominant player next year as a, as a 19 year old in the OHL that they won't be able to deny him. Yeah. Well, this year I even thought there was points where it's just bring him. What's the worst case scenario? But hey, like I guess he's got to average two points a game to even get noticed by them. <laughs> he's got he's got the fifth most points in the entire CHL. Um, he's he's dominating the OHL, which is the best junior hockey league in the world. I mean, I, I track NHLE. That's one of the best ways. For those who don't know, NHL equivalency basically rates or shows how scoring rates will adjust uh, as players come to the NHL from other leagues. And if you look at his NHLE, he has the second highest among Oilers prospects this year with 45 behind only Carter Savoy at 49. And I went and looked at the NHLE of Russia's players, and I believe that Petrov's was the highest on the team other than um, Mikov, Mikhanov, the, the, the oh, stud yeah. who's going to go in 2023. Matvey Mikhanov, also another Matvey. So, the, and, you know, of course, he's not playing in the KHL, and maybe if he was playing there, he'd have a lower NHLE because 
it's a it's a league that doesn't benefit younger players as much. But I just think that it was it was a, a foolish decision to not take him, and as well as to have a, a, an entire roster of left shooting players. I just I, I don't get the 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 logic here, but uh, yeah. yeah, the the Russians have never been known to be conventional, if anything. Yeah, like even I just remembered uh, Daniel Cheka. He played for them last year. Yeah, uh, he's in Guelph right now, and he's at home, I believe. I don't think they took him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's it's just it's weird what they do. It's baffling. I really think that they are loyal to the kids who say, you know, we are going to stay here. That's We're going to develop think, here. Yeah. We're gonna we're gonna commit to KHL teams, and that's and, and and like I said, they want an older team. Like I mean, you've got the one young kid Mikanov who's there, but realistically, other than other than a couple guys, it is an older squad, and and that's that's how they want to build their team. So it, it's disappointing nonetheless. But I'm if there's one silver lining to this, it's that Petrov has a chance to, like I said, win a, an OHL scoring title, and he'd be the first uh, the first Russian to ever do it. Yeah, like that's that's the only thing you can hope for now is, uh, what do you what do you do with this? You just got turned down. Do you use it as a put putting down moment or something where you're gonna step on the gas and just keep hammer hammering away? And I yeah. believe he'll just have a time with North Bay because like <laughs> yeah. they got they're a good team. They are, and I think a lot of players do use it as a motivation. Uh, I, mm-hmm. I I wasn't planning on talking about this next player, but while we're on it, you just made me kind of think of it. Also, uh, Ty Tulio. Yeah. Do you think that he could also use not even being invited to Canada's camp as some extra motivation going into the rest of the season? I know he has six goals and ten points in his last four games. He's really picked it up as of late. Yeah, I think he's using it as motivation. If you just watch him, you can tell he's that little fiery guy he said doesn't take anybody he's just oh his work ethic everything i could him not getting invited was a weird one because he could play anywhere well i thought he'd at least get invited to camp yeah same with savoy carter savoy i mean we talked i I just sorry go ahead an invite is just all it needed for the two is it's it's weird because they are top of their leagues and they just completely just ignored you look at Carter Savoy, the numbers he's putting up in college hockey. I mean, he's playing outstanding this year. And it seemed, from what I've read, it seemed like Hockey Canada was a little bit concerned about his nutrition and his conditioning. They know that he has a lethal shot. Apparently, he's had an NHL caliber shot since he was like 16 in the AJHL. But the rest of the his game is what needed a lot of work. There, there, he didn't have the other elements they thought to be uh, a regular NHL player. But when I look at when I look at how committed he's apparently been to improving the other areas of his game, it seems like he really was focused on not only um, becoming a better player at the NCAA level, but elevating him himself and giving him a chance to make Team Canada. It just looks like he never got that opportunity, even even a sniff to try out for the team. Yeah, that's that's where I have the problem with it is you say all that stuff, but you don't even give him the opportunity to actually yeah. get invited. So, okay. But like Scott Wheeler from The Athletic wrote an article. I, I saw that. About this. He was, yeah. 
he pointed out that Savoy was one of the most notable omissions from uh, from Canada. So yeah, it's it's disappointing. And and you know what? We talked about the bias of the Russian Hockey Federation. I don't think that Hockey Canada is perhaps as biased, but I I do think that they would prefer to take mostly CHL players than NCAA players. If you if you just look at it, like now there's guys like Kent Johnson who are there, right? And they're playing in a a featured role. Dylan Holloway played last year. So it's not like yeah. they it's not like they're exactly like the Russians and only want to take the kids who stayed in in the league. But obviously the the CHL is the number one talent pool that Hockey Canada likes to pick from. Yeah, that's their that's what I noticed too is a lot of like both the guys you said, they're first round picks. They're some of the top top talents, but yeah. They just I don't I yeah, the Savoy one, even if you I even thought Matt Savoy deserved a little bit of yeah. an invite, but he'll still be eligible next year though too. Exactly, yeah. Um I was gonna ask you have now I know these guys played in the AJHL and I don't know how many games you've ever seen of that league but have you ever had the chance to see either of Dylan Holloway or Carter Savoy play live Uh no I wasn't a I haven't been to many AJHL games Okay honestly they uh oh, a lot of the, a lot of the AJHL games is kind of like uh rock 'em sock 'em sometimes yeah. <laughs> they're uh they're like old hockey <laughs> no, I, I can see that. I, you know, yeah. I think it's still a pretty good league. I mean, I've I've oh, seen a lot of Savoy's highlights. Like... Yeah, and I mean, if you're talking for even a a more bargain hockey game than going to a WHL game, going to see the AJHL would be yeah. uh, an even an even te- cheaper ticket if you want to take your family or just hang out with a friend and go see a hockey game. But yeah, it's uh it's it's a tough break for both Tulio Savoy. And as well as uh, Petrov for Russia, Russia. but uh, thankfully we have at least Borgo to watch on Canada this year, so that will uh, give us uh, someone to cheer for specifically on Team Canada. Uh, just just to wrap up on the the World Juniors, are there any other players from the WHL that uh, the listeners to this podcast should be focusing on when uh, when the tournament gets started? Uh, once the tournament starts getting up, is I'm excited for their third line, the the old WHL line, sort of Ridley Gregg and Jake Neighbors. That is just your typical third line. They are gonna bang bodies, and they have a lot of skill to add to that, though. Where sort of he's he can be a magician with the puck. Neighbors is your typical power forward. Ridley Gregg has some burn and speed and they're going to be tough to play against but they're also going to be tough to play against in the offensive zone <laughs> where they're just going to cycle and be a threat the whole night and i'm for a specific player i'm excited to see carson lambos he's was the second overall pick in the whl draft and a lot of hype around him coming into last year's draft went over to finland due to the pandemic couldn't get any and then came over here back home and well i think he played two games and then he got injured for the rest of the year and just fell down the draft people thought he was going to be a top 10 pick and i'm excited to see what he's got Mm -hmm. and it's funny you mentioned sort of there he's a florida panthers draft pick and uh a good friend of mine uh 
who's actually uh, his his name's Kirby Lupul. He and I did the the Max Midget tournament together in 2014, like I mentioned earlier in the show. He's uh, he's actually cousins with former Oiler Joffrey Lupul, and he, like I said, he's a big Florida Panthers fan. And he and I were sort of debating earlier uh, who would play higher in the lineup, either Borgo or sort of both kind of competing on the 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 right wing spot there. So I'll just give him a, a quick shout out here. And <laughs> yeah, awesome. it's uh, I'm sure he'll he'll like that. Uh, but no, it's uh, I, I'm glad that Borgo got the opportunity to to play higher in the lineup. But like you said, there's some good WHL talent there. And of course, Connor Bedard. Now, 16 yeah. year olds at this tournament, you know, rarely get the opportunity to to shine. I mean, even Connor McDavid didn't play uh, a, a top line or, or top six role when he was 16. Wayne Gretzky is an exception back in 1978 where he was the tournament MVP, his only world junior appearance when he was 16. But, you know, it's it's rare enough just to make this tournament as a 16-year-old, but I don't think we should be expecting him to play like on the power play or anything like that. Uh, no, it's... It's going to be weird. It's going to be hard to see how they use it because I feel like at where he is right now, he is better trending prospect than uh, Lafreniere. Yeah. Uh, but even Lafreniere's draft year, what I mean, he was used a lot. D minus one was mm-hmm. 13th forward, maybe two minutes a night. And uh, it's tough because Bedard is so dang good. Well, next Everything year, next he year he'll be 17. And yeah. I ex- I expect he will be probably either the first or second line center next year. So there's there is yep. going to be a big opportunity for him there. It's just you know as a 16 year old, there's so many players exactly. who are two years, three years older than you that are competing for those same spots. And he probably has the highest upside of anyone on this team. It's just a matter of him being the youngest player there. Yeah, that's and. It's it's a twenty year olds tournament, like they say. Nineteen yeah. year olds tournament. Nineteen year olds tournament, yeah. Like Cole Perfetti, the tenth overall pick from like year two years ago, Mason McTavish, your third overall pick. It's mm-hmm. kind of hard to pass these guys when you're sixteen. And even like Jake Neighbors, twenty sixth overall pick on a third line. That's it's hard to pass these guys when you're just a young input. Uh, he is so dang special. I it mm. wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Well, just to sort of wrap up the show, there's a couple last things I want to talk to you about. First of all, we've we've talked about some Oilers prospects, and we've talked about the situation going on with uh, Rogers Place. But just specifically talking about the Oilers as a whole this season, what are your predictions for the rest of the year? What have you seen from them so far, and where do you think they're going to be going for the rest of 2022? Oh, that's a, it's a good question because our our decor is just <laughs> depleted right now. Mm-hmm. It's like Nurse out, Keith out, uh, Cuckoo, Chris Russell, I believe, is still out, and there. Uh, at least you got you got CC. It's and then it's it's so hard because you have all that, but then you look over to McDavid and Drysdale if they can stay healthy. What can they do? I, f- if we can clean up our five v five play, yeah. And Mike Smith, once he gets back in, hopefully gives Koskinen some rest. We'll see the goaltending situation play out. But if we just clean up that five v five play to get us average, we will be fine because our 
power play. Our, like our special teams are some of the best in the league. Oh, it is. And I mean, the power play I think is ranked. Well, the power play is still number. One. The power play is number one, but the the penalty kill is even number six. I think yep. so. They're they're right at the top of that. It's and and as of late, the last three games or so. Now I know it's a small sample size, but the Oilers have been getting some bottom six scoring. Yep, and that, that is that has been a big help. the the only The only downside is after starting the season nine and one, uh, they've went nine and ten in their past nineteen games. So it's kind of I don't want to say erased the full start, but it's taken away some of that nice cushion lead that they had built up. So hopefully this this pause, if there's a benefit to come from it, it's that everyone's going to have the chance to get healthy, recharge the batteries a little bit. I know that the top guys have been playing big, heavy minutes. So getting that little bit of extra time off, as well as two consecutive wins going into the break, I think that helps. Yeah, where we looked, we have looked good too in those yeah. games. And honestly, Spencer, I mean, go back and look at that six-game losing streak that they had. There were some games there where they actually outplayed the opposition. They just didn't get the result. There was just no bottom six scoring in those games. Uh, Boston scored with two and a half minutes. Or sorry, yeah, they scored the winning goal two and a half minutes left. Uh, so that denied them getting at least an overtime point. Uh, the the Carolina game was a two one game right up until the end when Koskinen mishandled the puck and they they buried it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, imagine now imagine that doesn't happen and then Nugent Hopkins who had a wide open net and somehow missed late in the game. If he scores now it's two two and go to overtime. So really it was a six game losing streak that shouldn't have been a six game losing streak. They also threw away some some winnable yep. games to L A and Seattle, but realistically, I still think this team is in a pretty good spot. They're on pace st- even still for about 50 point, fifty wins and 100 points. So they're, the team is in a, a good spot, but they do have to clean up a few things, I think, going into the new year. Yeah, and that's the thing. where it's, I, I, I expect this team to be good, and I want it to just, I want it to be great, where we should be, we should be. second round conference finals. Well, it's year eight of Dreisaitl, it's year seven of McDavid. I know. It's crazy you know, it's gone. Think. It's crazy, yeah, I mean, it's really wild to think how long, like, it still feels like McDavid's in his third or fourth year for some yeah. reason, which, you know, I, I think it's because he's still so young, and he's been one of the best players in the league for a long time. I mean, normally... Most NHL players are breaking into the league somewhere around 20 or 21. And Connor already had two scoring titles by that age. So when you're when you're that dominant that early, it sort of disguises the fact that he's been around for for four or for seven years now. But, um, you know, good chance to win another Art Ross trophy and Hart trophy this year. I think he's going to really take his game up a notch down the stretch, as he always does. And hopefully we'll be having a, a playoff series at least to uh, a playoff series win, I should say, to talk about this year. Yeah, I, I hope this is the year. The, it's funny because the Pacific look looks kind of good now. <laughs> yeah, and then well, Vegas doesn't even have Eichel yet. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's not that they Vegas has really turned it around. I'm glad that the Oilers beat them two straight times in their own yep. building earlier in the year. That helped. They must um, like it, Vegas for some reason. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> it's a, it, and it makes the trip to Vegas a lot better when you win there. <laughs> exactly. Um, but uh, no, that's that's pretty funny. Uh, I, I'm sure it's actually one of the most 
popular uh, destinations <laughs> on any road trip. Although, uh, I mean, I'm more of a California guy. I would prefer the trips to Anaheim and L.A. and sitting on a, a beach than uh, than going to any of the nightclubs in Vegas. But anyway, it's uh, anytime you can escape. I mean, you and I both know Edmonton gets. Oh. Very similar weather to what we get in Saskatoon. So, if if you can escape that, uh, yeah, anywhere, <laughs> I do not yeah. care. <laughs> I I told this story uh, on a, on the podcast before, but I came to see a game on my birthday uh, a couple of years ago, actually, like just before the pandemic hit, and um, it was like minus forty that week in Edmonton. And my vehicle wouldn't start. I called uh, a repair guy to come out and try and get my car boosted. It wouldn't work. I had to get my dad to drive out from Saskatoon to finally get it going. But I was I was stuck in my hotel room in Edmonton for four days until someone could come out and boost me. So that was a that that was a, a tough a tough stretch there. But you know what? It's it that's 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 winter in in Western Canada, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's exactly. some fun times in Western Canada. <laughs> yeah, and I would love to be escaping for a winter vacation in Mexico this year, but I don't know what that's going to look like. Uh, I was hoping we'd be a little closer to the end of this. Uh, yeah, this awful pandemic by then, but uh, it goes on. Um, anyway, better better things to talk about than that. Uh, <laughs> just to wrap up tonight, I wanted to ask about your new article, which you've submitted to me. And as the editor for the website, I am lucky enough to be the first one to read it. I haven't had a chance to look at it yet, but it will be up for any listeners to this podcast. Might even be up by the time this podcast is out. But I'll just ask you first, what can you tell us about what you've uh, written for the site? Uh, just quick, a little article projecting Borgo and Munzenberger's uh, tournaments. How, what I think they'll do. How I think they'll look. Pulling on from what I know from them. And then I do a little bit of a little projection of who I think the three medal winners will be. Okay. And the top, uh, the MVP, the top forward, the top D, and the top goalie. Interesting. Well, I won't give any spoilers away for any of that. I want to make everyone go read it. But uh, no, I'm really looking forward to uh, your new article. You do great work for the site. So I appreciate you sending that over. And everyone, please go check out uh, Spencer's article when it's posted. And just before we sign off here, where can people follow you on social media? Uh, Twitter, it's at SP Prospects is where you can find me. That's where I'll talk hockey all day. You know that. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. So everyone, please go give Spencer a follow. Awesome guy. And I really thank you for being on the podcast tonight. I hope you'll be back sometime soon. Oh, I can't wait to come back. All right, man. Well, thank you for being on again and have a Merry Christmas and happy holidays. Thank you so much. Merry Christmas. All right. So for Spencer Pomodi, I'm Eric Friesen. This has been the 99 Forever podcast. We're out.